Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and I think my partner is in in uh, nearby Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, nearby Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. Uh, AJ Schultz, great follow at AJ Schultz24. Buddy, I, I started a rumor on DK this morning, DraftKings. And I said, you're winning your way to Buffalo because that team is looking for a goalie. Is there any truth to those rumors? Or are you still in Sun Prairie today? No, no, still still in Sun Prairie. Uh, if anything, I'm going to go uh, try and uh, hook up with the, the Golden Knights. You know, if they have any injuries, I'm headed out to headed out to Vegas tomorrow. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if they've got a roster spot for me uh, at, at some point here. I think it's a toss-up between you and some guy named Jack Eichel in the next couple of weeks. So <laughs> I, I'm probably available sooner. So I mean, there is an upside to that. I'm I'm available day one, uh, assuming I pass through you know COVID testing and protocols and stuff. But uh, he's he's still a few weeks away here. Well, AJ, interesting that you would say that because looking ahead, we have a fuller schedule after a lot of games have been postponed in the last couple of weeks, which leads me to cautiously optimistic that we're going to have fewer interruptions going forward, I think. The bigger news, though, is that uh, along with you, there are some other names that are back looking for the, looking at their season debuts in the past few days. And another big one is coming soon in Vegas, the aforementioned Jack Eichel. But we'll get to those guys in our team notes. But another big name, Evander Kane, is uh, suddenly a coveted free agent after uh, cutting ties with, with San Jose officially. Um, how do you evaluate him, AJ, uh, in terms of the impact that he could have on a team? Do you think he still profiles as a top six winger uh, with upside, or or do you have question marks? And are there any teams that you're thinking are front runners for him uh, in your mind? And I'll, I'll uh, throw in my own thoughts. I mean, let, let's start with like the on ice product, right? Let's let's just start there. You know, Vander Kane is a phenomenal. <laughs> on ice talent um you know you look over his career like pretty much most seasons uh he's in the 40 to 50 point range there's a couple outliers there um but for the most part you're talking about a guy 40 50 points so if you get him at this point in the season like you could probably count on 30 points out of him the rest of the way um at, at least depending on the role you put him in so on ice uh great I think the only teams that need to be maybe even considering this guy are clubs that have like strong leadership teams, no coaches or GMs like on the hot seat. Like you need guys that are all secure around them and, and in their spots so that if they do take a chance on this guy, it's not going to sink them. Right. If, if I'm a GM and it's kind of waffly and I'm like, Oh man, is my job on the line? If we suck this year, like, um, taking a Vander Kane is not a risk you necessarily want. Honestly, um, with all the off-ice stuff, like, it hasn't been as high profile, but, like, I compare him to Antonio Brown. Like, can you take the risk of a guy with that sort of talent but who could go completely south on you, you know, depending on the other stuff? Their issues are different and separate. I'm not trying to say they have this, the same off-ice issues, but – um so, yeah, I mean, honestly, teams like Boston, who has a strong leadership core, uh, Edmonton, obviously, you know, I think the, 
maybe the front office is a little dicey only because they haven't had success with the talent they have on the ice, but like this guy's not going to walk up to McDavid and like take, you know, threaten to take his job or something. McDavid will have him fired in two seconds. Right. Like, uh, so teams like that are what I think, um, Paul, I don't know if you have any clubs out there that, that you think would be a, a good fit for him, or if you see a difference, do you think a low end team should take a risk on him? You know what? I don't think that makes a lot of sense for him and his 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 uh, objectives. I understand that he's not going to be signing for big dollars for the rest of the season, and he's looking at a prove-it situation. And the best way for him to prove it is to go to a, a top-end team that is looking for a bump uh, to get over the top or to make a difference. And, uh, you know, obviously you mentioned off the air the Edmonton Oilers are probably the front runner. And how can they sell him on that? Well, how about a chance to play with Connor McDavid and or Leon Dreisaitl? That's, you don't have to say much more to entice anybody to that opportunity. And they're looking for a thing, a way to shake them up themselves out of a funk. Ken Holland had an interesting press conference earlier in the week with the local media. And I happened to catch a, a, a catch wind of it. So I got, I was on it. And he was saying that, sure, they've talked to his agent and the agent has a good rapport with him. And, and uh, so they're looking at the possibility. And you mentioned also, well, where, where there's smoke, there's always uh, a fire that includes a rumor about the Maple Leafs. And it makes sense for similar reasons. This team is in a dogfight in their division, uh, maybe the most competitive division in, in the NHL. And uh, they might look at him as a difference maker, too, with the opportunity to play with Austin Matthews or John Tavares as the, the carrot that's being down dangled there so those are two situations that he's got to be considering and and uh, any others that that uh, refer to teams that are in similar situations in the other divisions will qualify so that's where I think he's looking in terms of his opportunity for the rest of this season to kind of rehab his image and uh, to make an impact on the ice and then turn that into a bigger payday in the offseason if he can keep his, his nose clean and uh, distance himself from the company comparisons that you make about the uh, former Tampa wide receiver who is probably not going to play another down in football the way he blew his opportunity with Tom Brady and company. So that's the way I see that situation, AJ. And it should be resolve itself, resolve itself fairly soon because we're a few weeks away from the trade deadline. And uh, this would be a situation that's kind of like that, but without having to deal a, a trade asset, uh, teams should be ahead of the curve and, and kind of get this guy in fold as soon as possible if they make their evaluations. So uh, th- that's the biggest headline this week, AJ, but uh, we have a number of other things to cover. And I thought we'd take a little bit of a turn from what we do every week on this show. And so uh, I'd like us to focus on overachievers and underachievers year to date, since we're almost at the halfway point of the, the calendar schedule of the NHL hockey season. Usually when you make the turn after the new year, it's considered almost a a natural halfway point. And with the fact that the schedule is going to ramp up, uh, it's going to be a race to the finish now for real and uh, a good point for us to look backward as well as looking forward. So with that, I'll lead us into a look at the Anaheim Ducks situation and uh, take a look at their roster and see who it is that I think has been an overachiever, uh, who to keep an eye on, who's been an underachiever, and, and, of course, the injury list. So we'll start with the injury notes, and, and it begins with a significant fact that John Gibson has been out of the lineup and close to a return, but in his in his place, 
Anthony Stolarz has finally got a run of games, and he's performed somewhat ad- admirably, I'll say, AJ. He's got a goals against on the season of 2.3 in uh, and. 10 in 10 decisions he's got six wins so uh, for as far as backup backups go he's been very serviceable at least and uh, the most recent starts two of them this past week he did give up a total of six goals and was saddled with the loss so really can't pin it on him if you give up three or less you're doing your part and it's kind of the offense that's kind of left them a little bit dry uh, but in terms of the, those offensive pieces on the season AJ uh, I'm impressed with Troy Terry he's on the uh, on the cusp of a a career best season, far and away their leading goal scorer with 22. There's nobody else even in double figures on this team. So he's done his job. Trevor Zegers, of course, making headlines. And Ryan Getzlaff doing his part as a playmaking setter and a kind of a guiding light as an older leader on this team. So there are some positives to point out here. And uh, the offense has been a kind of a surprise for me this season in terms of the way it's come forward. But I'd like to see more of a development from a guy like a Sam Steele. He's been passed by Zegris uh, on the fly. And Steele was a guy who was a, a top draft pick not so long ago, a guy that's underperformed here. And, uh, you know, you can only imagine if he and Jacob Silverberg, who was another guy who's underperformed with only two goals uh, in 33 games, if those guys could get their act together and produce like we normally might expect this team could really challenge for a playoff spot uh, going forward. So there, there's some pluses, some, some minuses and uh, some positive news on the entry front with the return of John Gibson there. Well, in Arizona, I mean, can, can I just say the whole, whole team has underperformed and, and just move on here? Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I, w- I wouldn't go quite so far and, and underperform is like a relative term. I don't think I was expecting much out of Arizona to begin with. So the fact that they're at the bottom um, doesn't surprise me. Uh, the goal differential is, is what obviously stands out when you're talking to minus 55 on the year, which is the worst in the league. But if there is a player that I think is overperformed or at least, uh, you know, performed well, I have to give credit to Shane Gostisbehere, uh, 23 points in 34 games to start this year. Uh, certainly, at, you know, it, it's looking more and more like that 165-point year in, in 27-18 was going to be an aberration. But at this pace, he's still fully capable of getting to 40, which is, you know, really solid production um, for him. And, and you know, I think a, a good benchmark for where he's at. So I think Shane Gostisbehere getting 40 points. Uh, on the year would would be good, especially with the team that he has around him, getting power play opportunities and and really has kind of revamped things. I'm going to stick with the defense here on on my downside. And and like I said, there's a number of guys who I think have underperformed. I mean, you look, Phil Kessel has just five goals. I mean, that's not good enough for a guy that that's kind of his bread and butter there. Um, you know, you could point to like Louis Erickson, Anton Roussel, those guys have six and four points respectively, but I wasn't expecting anything out of them. So that's not much of a surprise. I think for me, I land on Jacob Chishrin, just seven points through 26 games. Now he has been out with an injury and then compounded that by landing on the COVID-19 protocols. But even before he got hurt, um, just hasn't been living up to expectations you know, especially right before you got nine games without a goal, three helpers over that stretch, none of those points coming on the power play. And I think it's a reason that his name's being tossed around uh, the, the trade rumor mill because the other teams are going to look at the 41-point season 
and think that's where he should be and where he could be with a better supporting cast around him. And in Boston, I'll begin with the downside and work toward the upside, which is really headlined by Tuka Rask. We'll get to him in a sec, but they have to be disappointed with Nick Foligno, AJ. The guy's got one goal year to date, and certainly they were hoping to be that he'd be a part of his leadership, the leadership core there. I believe he's got an A on his sweater in terms of underscoring that development, but he's going to be out with for the next three games as well with an injury. So it's not a situation that's going to get any better. And that, that left side behind uh, behind Brad Marchand is fraught with question marks. Even Taylor Hall, for my money, has really underperformed. I thought that he would have a big year over here and prove it uh, is what he's trying to do. He's only got seven goals in 33 games and 22 points. You expect much more from a guy who was at the top of his draft class in the year that he was drafted and put into a situation in Boston Murray's is, is – all set to succeed with a great opportunity, but it's not working out for him. And that's caused the Bruins to shuffle things around elsewhere on their roster. They moved David Pasternak off the top line, and I wondered when they would get around to this move, AJ, quite frankly, because it's been a top-heavy team with the perfection line intact for several years, and then question marks behind them this year abounding mostly because they haven't really found a way to replace David Krejci as the number two center. Right now, it's Eric Halla who's getting second-line minutes there. And he and Charlie Coyle kind of flip-flopped that opportunity, but they're both a step down from the aforementioned David Krejci. And so that's a bit of a cause for concern. Defensively, we knew they would take a bit of a hit, but we've seen a maturation in the games for, of uh, Charlie McCoy, uh, Brandon Carlo and Matt Grizzlick, that's kind of the trio that they're looking at to hold the fort going forward. And then that's the kind of we're, we're treading water with Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman. But of course, the big news now is Tuka Rask makes his debut, season debut tonight. He committed to signing with this club for the rest of the season. He's on the books for the minimum salary. I think it's less than $800,000 prorated over the year. That means they're giving him about $360,000 the rest of the way. And uh, they're hoping that he can... Uh, return to a level that he left the team at as one of the very best in the game, certainly one of the best in Boston Bruins history. So uh, he gets his debut season debut tonight on the second of back-to-back for the Bruins, a game that, a game that I'll tune in tonight uh, for sure to see how he fares in that one. Well, for the Sabres, uh, there's really no player you can look at more in terms of exceeding expectations than Tage Thompson. I mean, uh, you know, heading into the end of last season. So I'll say before we got into the playoff troubles that or the off season troubles that they had with Jack Eichel and everything, like you might've penciled Thompson in for like third line center behind Eichel, maybe Casey Middlestat factors in there. Um, but being pressed into being their top line center, 12 goals on the year that leads the team. Uh, and, and is well above. I mean, you look at his career numbers over the last several seasons since coming into the league in 2017. He's got a combined 20 goals, or I'm sorry, uh, 18 goals in those previous seasons. So he's on pace to you know completely double his career goal total this season. On the downside, like I'm just going to say the entire goaltending unit, um, and. It is partially to blame, you know, injuries. You've got Craig Anderson is month-to-month. Malcolm Subban is now considered month-to-month. Dustin Tolikarski has been out for almost a month uh, after testing positive for COVID-19, and so clearly he's dealing with some long-term symptoms and, and issues there. Um, so they're going to roll with Aaron Dell tonight, and they've got 
a guy now who's 0-5 in seven outings on the year as their starter, and then their backup to what you were alluding to, Paul, is going to be Michael Hauser, who they just signed yesterday, um, and they, they just don't have anybody. So I, my disappointment is the entire goaltending situation. The guys that have gotten some opportunities, like an Arendell, haven't done enough with them. And, and Craig Anderson, uh, unfortunately, has, has been hurt for a really long time now. And, and there's other guys picking up injuries, too. So I think just the whole goaltending situation in Buffalo has been the biggest nightmare, which is you know really interesting when you look organizationally over the years. You're talking about a, a franchise that, in two different eras was built around goaltending with Dominic Hasek followed by Ryan Miller. Like they've got big name goaltenders uh, in, you know, whose numbers should both eventually be in the rafters here. And, and now to see that being the biggest problem on this team is I'm sure frustrating to Sabres fans. In Carolina, the news has been mostly very good this season, AJ. And, uh, a couple of question marks were filled in. They had some concerns in the net last year. They addressed them in the offseason by signing Freddie Anderson to a big contract. And look, I'm a big Freddie Anderson fan from his time in Toronto. All this guy does is win during the regular season. You can question the playoff success, but that was largely more to the team's failures uh, than to him. He held up his end of the bargain, in my humble opinion. And again, he's doing that part this season. He's having the best statistical year of his career. So the goaltending is in capable hands. As long as he gets the heavy workload, I know Antti Ranta is nicked up a little bit, only managed a handful of starts so far this season. They'd like to get more out of him going forward for sure. Uh, question mark on the defense was something that we looked at when they signed Tony D'Angelo. I thought, were they getting themselves into a little bit of trouble here with his checkered past, with his off-ice indiscretions and trouble in the locker room in his previous stop in New York? But he's been a good citizen by all accounts. And he's been delivering the offense as well. So uh, two really good stories off the top there. A bit of a downer, though, with Kasperi Kotkaniemi. When they signed him to big dollars out of Montreal with the offer sheet situation, I thought, is this a chance for him to take the next step in his development? Well, it really hasn't happened yet. And he's mired in the depth chart to to a bottom six left wing role. But uh, he's getting a few more minutes most recently and starting to produce a little bit. I wonder if he can be a, a surprise contributor to this offense going forward and see him as a top six fit he'll certainly challenge for that role but right now another bright light out of the shoot this year in a rookie season is Seth Jarvis who's found a way to get to the top line alongside Aho and Taravainen who are reunited so good news mostly out doing the net the bad news in Carolina it's no wonder this team is one of the best in the entire league for the Flames I, I think the you know if we're looking at the season as a whole Andrew Mangiapane is the guy that stands out as as the, you know, kind of surprise of the season. He still leads the team with 18 goals on the year. The kind of concern, uh, especially for guys that bought in on Mangiapane at, at some point in November or early December, is he has one point, one goal um, in his last eight games. So clearly uh, is struggling and, and hit some sort of slump. But that says a lot about the rest of the team, the fact that this guy is still the leading goal scorer and has one goal in his last eight games. So I, I think other people on this team really need to step up. And the one guy I'm going to point to there is Sean Monahan. And you're talking about a player who at points in his career, three times he's been a 30-goal scorer. He's hit 60 
four times and, and even gotten over the 80 point threshold. Like this has been a really good player for them for a very long time. He's only 27. It's not like he's aging out uh, of his prime yet. They're putting him in a fourth line center role. He's got just four goals in 33 games to start the year. You carry that over that has him ending the year around like 10, um, which really is not good enough for a player of his caliber, especially when you consider they're paying him $6.3, $6.4 million here. He does have a 10-team no-trade clause, but I have to wonder if that's going to come into the mix. Uh, they've only got two more years left on him, so a team would look him, at him as like a rental plus, which is could bolster the value that they could get back from him. And with only one more year, Calgary might be willing to retain a little bit of that salary. So I would expect because of his struggles, um, especially, you know, depending on where Calgary is in the standings, that Monaghan might be on the trade block. AJ in Chicago, in Chicago, they're hosting Montreal tonight. So what better way for a guy to start his career? That's what they're planning for Lucas Reichel, son of a former NHLer and former first-round draft pick, 17th overall in the 2020 draft, gets his debut at center tonight against the visiting Habs. And that's uh, the latest bit of good news in Chicago. On the season to date, they have to be thrilled with the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury is doing Marc-Andre Fleury things and that he recorded his 500th win earlier this season in the first game between these two teams. And I'm looking at him to double down. There's a bit of an insight in terms of whom I'm considering in goal for this evening's DFS play. But in terms of what's happening to the rest of this roster, they have to be a little bit disappointed with the, the fact that they brought in Tyler Johnson. And I had high hopes for him, AJ, to be a top six factor in this offense, a guy that can move around and play either at the wing or at center. But he is uh, out with a neck injury, and his season looks to be pooched, quite honestly, AJ, for the most part. And uh, it's it's come after he has really under, underperformed during the, most of the regular season. And that's been a blow to this offense in much the same way as Kirby Doc's limited availability to this team during the course of this season. Doc's been limited to only 14 points this season. I was expecting much more from him in this campaign, and really he hasn't delivered anywhere near that level to date. So they have to be disappointed with that turn of events. But uh, on the positive side, they're getting what they usually get out of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves returned healthy. That's the biggest news in terms of the positive sense. And Seth Jones, prior to his landing on COVID, the protocol was a a real uh, nice addition on the back end, giving them uh, a quality centerpiece to build that uh, contingent around so and Calvin DeHaan has been a pretty good running mate for him most of the season as well. So again, more good news than bad. They still haven't figured out Dylan Strom and his uh, proper place in this in this lineup. AJ, they've moved around from center to wing. He's only got ten points, and I gotta think that that, that maybe this guy needs a new home because it really hasn't worked in Chicago either. I just think there's a lot of ability there that if somebody really unearths it and gets this guy to play to the level that he showed me as a junior uh, when he was in uh, in the OHL. Uh, there could really be something there, but it hasn't been mined properly in, in his first couple of stops around the NHL, in my opinion. In, uh, in Columbus, uh, I'm going to start, you know, my, my, my disappointment guy, looking at uh, Gregory Hoffman, uh, who is, if you go on rotowire.com, you'll find he is no longer – um, going to be with the team. Uh, they are set uh, supposedly to release him uh, after you know, some personal issues, decided to, to leave. 
this is a much like kind of there is a lot to really believe in with this guy. Um, had spent his entire career playing in Switzerland, where you know, last couple of seasons, you look three previous, you got 41 points, 47, 51, like really good numbers. Was drafted uh, by Carolina in the fourth round of the 2011 draft. Finally decides to come over and play uh, for Columbus. Um, and the numbers I didn't think were terrible. Seven points in 24 games. Um, you know, and I, I'm just I'm disappointed that, uh, you know, he pulled the, pulled the ripcord on it so soon into the season to head back uh, overseas. And, you know, by all accounts, uh, I would be surprised if another team gives him a shot. Look, he's 29 years old. Uh, Carolina obviously drafted him way back in 2011. So they spent how many years waiting for him? And then, you know, he finally makes the jump. And so, unfortunately, I think this is going to mark the end of his NHL career. Um, you know, he'll keep playing over over in Switzerland by all accounts. So I'm, I'm just shocked. I was surprised when I saw that come across that he pulled pulled uh pulled up so quickly and, and isn't going to finish it out here in terms of my like good news in Columbus. I think Jacob Vorsak uh, is, is the player I would most look at. And the immediate reaction here is going to be like, what are you talking about? AJ? Like you got a guy who's a 20 goal scorer six times in his career. Um, isn't anywhere near that, which is one goal in 34 games. But you have to look at the entire body of work. He's got 25 points total. Yes, again, he's producing mostly assists, but he's producing um, 11 of those 25 points have come with the man advantage. So he's on the ice when you need him to be. Um, He is uh, in the protocol, uh, COVID protocols as of today. So he'll probably miss a few games here. But I really think his numbers have been pretty good. The other player that I'm going to point to is, is Patrick Line. We haven't seen a lot of him due to injury, and then he had a family issue, uh, family matter to deal with. But when he's been available this year, you're talking 12 points in 15 games. Uh, that's phenomenal. If he carries that over to the rest of the season here, uh, Columbus fans and fantasy owners are going to be really happy with that. So I think, you know, give both of these guys a little bit of a break um, because of their various situations. Um, I, I think Vorisak was actually a really good addition to this team, even if the goals aren't there. In Colorado, certainly we've been talking about the high-octane offense, and the first line on their club is uh, vying for the top-line honors in the NHL. But uh, they're taking a hit right now as Gabe Landeskog just landed on the COVID protocol, so that means Valerie Nachushkin moves up to left wing on the top line. And I feel good about Nachushkin, AJ. This guy is a guy who's bounced around the NHL a fair bit, but now they're trusting him to a top six role. I see that it's between him and Burakoski. They're in top units. We just juggled things up at Rotowire headquarters, but nonetheless, Valerie Nichushkin is one of the better stories on this roster so far this season. He has managed 17 points in 20 games, which is a better point per game rate than he's shown anywhere else in his career. And the same can be said on defense, not just for the likes of Nazem Kadri, who's had a fantastic season for this club, and Kale McCarr, who is drawing headlines as one of the top offensive scorers in, in uh, among defensemen in the league. But Devin Taves, another defenseman who has been quietly improving his game and his numbers, uh, you consider 24 points in 22 games played and a, an astounding plus 26 
which is the highest on the team by far, to show that they're more than a one-trick pony on the back end. In fact, they have three youngsters that are are worth a long look in terms of DFS play and, and overall quality. Samuel Gerrard is, is the third guy that I would put into that mix. And that's a measure of a good team, I think, when you can have three good offensive pieces on the back end who also don't hurt you defensively. That puts you a leg up on most of your other competition in the NHL. And uh, that just speaks to the quality of depth uh, in Colorado offensively. And, uh, of course, they're getting good goaltending as well. Kemper's starting to find his groove in the nets and and starting to chalk up uh, wins and good good peripheral numbers as well with save percentage and goals against coming into line with his career norms. So the news is mostly good, but I have to concern myself with the downside here. Tyson Yost just not joining the party offensively. He was a guy that they had high hopes for, but he's been passed on the depth chart at center. Alex Newhook has even moved ahead of him. So uh, I put Yost at fourth on the pecking over uh, among the centers here, and that's nowhere near good enough for him. Uh, I'd have to rate him as a resounding disappointment in this setup. For Dallas, I'll start with the net minus here, and and a lot of that has to do with what we kind of thought going into the season. You know, you maybe put, um, you know, Ben Bishop was eventually going to come back. Uh, Hopi and Hudobin would hold down the fort, and Jake Ottinger was the netminder of the future. It's kind of where I think uh, most people probably expected Dallas to see coming into the season. Well, Ben Bishop is is done. Unfortunately, his his career is over. Uh, Anton Hudobin uh, just got recalled because Brayden Hopi is in the COVID protocols, but it was playing in the minors. Uh, so clearly he hasn't lived up to it. So I, I give my plus number uh, plus guys to one. Uh, Brayden Holpe, who I do think has been decently good, six eight and one nine two zero is a save percentage. So that you know the save percentage is right there in line with what you want. Um, could use a little more run support on a few games. So I do think I uh, hope he's having a, a decent year. And then obviously Andre with nine wins and eleven starts um, is is obviously the goaltender of now for them. Um, him and Holpe figure to continue to share the workload. Uh, going into the rest of the season. But both these guys, I think, are doing really well for kind of where the picture looked at the start of the season. In terms of guys that have been really disappointing, there's no one else you can talk about other than Joel Kivaranta. Rookie season 2019-20 comes in kind of quiet in the first 11 uh, you know, regular season games he played. Playoffs that year, five goals, one assist in 14 games for Dallas. Seems to be uh, like a big up-and-comer, has some momentum. Last year, plays in just 26 games, has 11 points. Decent. No, I have no problem with that. You know, six of those were were goals. This year, he's got just two assists, also in 26 games. He's a full-time NHLer now, so he shouldn't be worried about moving back and forth. And... Let me tell you, Paul, I'll give you one name here of guys who have more points on this team than Joel Kivaranta, Andre Sequeira. Mm-hmm. That's not a guy, if you're a forward who, you know, thinks he can contribute, you should never be behind Andre Sequeira in terms of offensive production. So uh, Kivaranta has just been really disappointing, and it's why he's in a fourth-line role. Um, you know, I, I think there's a distinct possibility if you know things don't work out here, that we could see him play some time in the minors this year. Just even if it's like 
you know, if he scratched a couple of games, a conditioning assignment to kind of get him going or something, but the numbers just aren't there for him right now. Yeah, I think of Nick Ritchie in Toronto in the same vein, AJ, before I get to that team later in the show, if I forget, that's that's a real good comparable. In Detroit, they also have another comparable, too. We'll get to him in a second. Uh, Dylan Larkin is listed as day-to-day with an upper body injury. He's been a point-of-game guy and a guy that I, I think is underrated when you consider the quality of centers around the NHL. He is making a case for me to become part of that second tier, and and the only reason he's got, not getting a lot of ink is because Detroit is not quite there as a team that is a contender. But uh, under the guidance of, of Steve Eiserman, they are making strides to fill in around him. And a couple of guys that are in the rookie of the year race, Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider, are, are reasons to be optimistic here in Detroit, far exceeding what I thought they would either one would do in their first year in the NHL. They're strong contenders to lead this team in scoring. In fact, uh, they're two of the top four guys offensively alongside Larkin there. So good news at the top of the scoring there. They're getting solid goaltending work too. Uh, the tandem of Nedeljkovic and Grice, even better than the tandem that, they, that they've had in goal last year. Uh, and, and those guys produce good numbers when you consider that they were in a bit of a rubber factory in Detroit, that part still hasn't changed. They're not one of the better defensive teams, but they have taken a step up and the Delkovich and Grace can certainly take a bow for that progress. In terms of the downside here, I look at Taro High Rose and AJ, you might be scratching your head. We haven't talked about him for a year and a half, but last year he came on the scene and made a big splash here. And I thought he was being highly touted as a guy who should be in the top six here, but he's barely hanging on to a job in the NHL. In fact, not on the NHL roster right now. And that tells you how far he's fallen. And that's a bad sign for Detroit. They can't afford too many misses when you're talking about some of the top draft choices that they make. And uh, this is one in the, in the negative column for, for Eisenman and company right now. Well, look, for Edmonton, like the easy answer is McDavid and Dreisaitl in terms of, you know, guys producing at, at, high levels and while that might seem like a cop-out let's consider the fact that both guys are on pace to set new career highs in terms of overall points we're talking like 120 130 in terms of their pace and point per game right now um you know dry has got 26 goals already he might set a new you know mark for that and get over 50 again so it's just it's yeah, again, it might be maybe you would call it a cop out, but the fact that these guys, as good as they are, are looking at setting new personal bests says a lot about where they are in their game right now. And I think um, they're just fun to watch every time they go out. Um, it'd be nice to see them maybe do a little something in the postseason. They haven't really addressed the goaltending situation that I've harped on for the last like four years on this show. So, um, (laughs) you know, it is what it is in terms of the downside here. I got to look to Derek Ryan here, two goals in 30 games, no helpers. Um, You know, I am not expecting him to really be a top six factor. He's kind of at 35 years of age. He's a, he's a depth guy but you put him on the same mark as like guy, you know, from very familiar with Paul, Jason Spezza or Joe Thornton. Like both of those guys are still finding ways to be productive, if not to the same levels that they were earlier in their careers. I mean, Spezza for his part has 12 points. Um, And so I think they need to get more out of a guy like Derek Ryan. 
um, to, to be able to provide some depth scoring. Um, and it just hasn't been there so far. In Florida, they have to be thrilled. AJ, it seems like every week we're talking about a number of guys are leading uh, the scoring parade in the last week. And it's got a, usually two lines worth of, of people that we talk about might in that vein, Sam Reinhardt's been a regular part of it. He's on a career best pace with 29 points in 33 games. He's probably the best news offensively in the Nets. They've also seen Sergei Bobrovsky really kind of living up to his contract almost for the first time uh, since, since he's been in Florida. He's got a record of 17 and three overall, and the save percentage is 91.9%. And so the numbers are, are there. The goals against 255 reasonable and meanwhile his counterpart in the Nets Spencer Knight was on some people's list for rookie of the year consideration hasn't worked out for him and you know it's it's tough to put that kind of expectation on a rookie goalie you haven't seen too many of them do it in recent times that you'll be adding that name to the list uh, I think uh, I, I don't see uh, Spencer Knight turning things around at this stage and so his goals against average is almost a goal higher than Bobrovsky so far this season and the save percentage is, is less than average around the league at 89.6 percent so he has to be at the top of the list in terms of disappointments here but uh, the offensive pluses that we've seen Anthony Duclair uh, we're not talking about him in any kind of question mark tone, tones anymore 25 points in 28 games he certainly filled in as a secondary scorer and, and pushing for top six minutes on a regular basis. Mackenzie Wieger with a plus 19 as well as 21 points in support of uh, Aaron Ekblad gives him a two-headed monster on the back end with that can produce offense. And you can throw in a third in Gustav Forsling, who's got 18 helpers on the season, still looking at for his first goal, but a plus 16 as well. They had no fewer than, it looks like, almost 11 guys with a plus minus of uh, better than 10 per game. So that tells you that they've got to go on at both ends of the ice. But it's not without some negatives uh, when you consider the bottom of their roster offensively uh, year to date. Ole Uolivi on the defense has only managed to participate in six games. This guy was a first-round draft pick a couple of years ago and really hasn't made the grade yet. And I wonder if the sand is running out of his hourglass for an NHL opportunity. It might be a little premature to write him off completely, but there's been no tra- no traction, no trajectory upward for him so far, and that's a bit of a concern. And the same can be said, I would say, for Owen Tippett. Uh, here's a guy that's been given every opportunity to play here, and uh, despite the fact there's all kinds of scoring going on around him, he's dropped and dropped and dropped in the depth chart only with 11 points so far this season in 33 games. We look at this guy, he's a physical specimen, but just hasn't put it together despite the fact that there's all kinds of good news around them in Florida. Well, in LA, I'm, I'm going to put my, my bad on the the front office here. Um, the, the team has been performing well, so I, you know, it, they deserve some credit for that, but you look at the guys that are struggling to get into games for them. Now um, you've got guys like, uh, um, Alex Turcotte, TJ Tynan, Lias Anderson, um, just young up and counters, Jared Anderson Dolan, like guys, uh, Gabe Verardi, guys that should be a factor in there are all playing like less than 20 games um, right now. And so I'm just not sure why we're not pushing some of these younger guys uh, into the lineup a little bit more to get them opportunities and get them chances here to, to you know, 
get going and and start kind of their their retooling, their rebuild, whatever they want to call it. Um, I'm just disappointed if if I were a Kings fan, I'd be disappointed that some of these guys aren't getting more opportunities to play and to to get in the lineup here. Um, and you know, I, I think it, you know, Quentin Byfield, that's another name um, you know, who hasn't really played much. Um so I, I want to see more. I want to see these younger guys get more opportunities if if I'm a, a Kings fan. Now, on the plus side, one guy that has seen significant minutes, uh, maybe not as young as some of those others, but only 25 years old, is Adrian Kempe, who's off to a fantastic year. His 16 goals on the year already matches a career high that he set back in 2017. Um, he's got 22 points in 36 games. Huge minutes. He's averaging over three minutes a night on the power play. Um, so I, I, this is one guy that is getting an opportunity and he's rolling with it, which for me would instill confidence in giving some of these other younger guys an opportunity. Um, and I think it's something that they should continue to do. Again, as long as they're in contention, I think maybe that's the issue here. As long as they're in contention for a playoff spot, uh, I don't know that these younger guys are going to get a, a bigger opportunity, but I definitely think they should in order to, you know, get things going in, in the long-term right direction here. At AJ, the Minnesota club is a team that we've spoken about mostly for the fact that they develop a lot of defensemen in their setup, but they've ma- matched that with some offense as well. Uh, most recently this season, and that's reflective of the fact that they're a, scoring much more than they have in the last several seasons. Credit there, of course, goes to a signature player in Kirill Kaprizov, but and Matt Zuccarello, we expect those guys to perform. Kevin Fiala's kind of turned the other way, and in in, in his place, we got uh, a couple of guys that I want to highlight. Marcus Foligno having a, what looks like it could be a career best year. He's on pace for 30 goals, in fact, uh, plus 17, and he's bringing the, the attitude. He's got 55 penalty minutes to lead this team, and nobody wants to mess with him. Uh, the bloodlines are there, and it shows real thick that this guy will defend the honor of his club. He's done it regularly this season, as well as being a productive offensive player. So you got to like having those guys around it. Ryan Hartman is another guy that we've spoken about in glowing terms. He's wedged his way into a top six role and produced almost a point a game pace and leads this team in goal scoring. Those are stats that we couldn't foresee as well as his plus 26 to lead this club. So a uh, real bright light uh, among the, the roster here. And uh, on the downside, you know what? we talk, I've talked about the term last chance saloon, and I've used it with both these guys, Victor Rask and Nick Bukestad in the past. Both of these guys are well down the list in terms of scoring production. Rask with 10 points in 22 games, and Bukestad with five in 28. Both resonate as very poor uh, under, underachievers here, and I don't know if they're going to retain an NHL roster spot because they've both fallen so badly and it's a shame because there's I see talent there. Um, one thing before I leave Minnesota is I'm kind of surprised in the goalie split. Uh, Kapo Kakinen was making noise as one of the better rookies and certainly the, one of the top rookie goalies last season. And I thought he'd follow it up with, uh, with a 50-50 goal here behind Cam Talbot. But the goalie split has been 24 games played for Talbot and 10 for Kapanen. I know Talbot's numbers are a little... Uh, you know, they're supposed to be, uh, you would think, leaps and bounds better, but they're not, in fact. And uh, Kakinen has a 251 goals against average, Talbot three even, and uh, Kakinen's save percentage, 91.5, 
versus Talbot at 90.9. I'm, I'm thinking that you're going to see Kaplan get more ice time going forward, and that split will become more even as the season progresses. I don't know how you managed to pull this off, Paul, that you gave me both Arizona and Montreal um, <laughs> to try and find something good to talk about on these teams. Montreal, you know, I mentioned Arizona's goal differential at minus 55. Montreal's right there at minus 54, actually has one fewer win. Um, in terms of guys like disappointing, uh, Mike Hoffman, he's only got four goals in, in 20 games. You know, this is a guy brought in to shoot the puck. Cole Caulfield, highly touted uh, collegiate prospect, seven points in 27 games. You'd expect a little bit more out of him. Jeff Petrie is supposed to uh, carry kind of the blue line here, just two points in 28 games. Um, so there's a whole number of guys uh, that fall into this category. Jake Allen has been awful, 5-16-2 uh, and two, uh, with a three one five goals against average. He doesn't have anybody to challenge him. Montembeau and Primo have both been bad in their opportunities. Um, so if there's a, a, a winner on this club, I think it's the fans. The fact that capacity is limited, so less people have to spend their money to watch this team in person. Um, so that, that's what I'm going to with, Paul. The, the fans are the winners on this one because they don't have to go to these games right now. All right. Well, New Jersey is not exactly filling the rink with their squad this year either. Uh, Igor Sharangovich was a guy that gave them some hope coming out of nowhere last year. But he's in – and he's returning to the fold. He's out of COVID protocol and back installed at right wing on the top line. So that could give their offense a bit of juice. And I like the fact that Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer are both currently healthy and have been for uh, stretches of this season. So that's some of the good news on this team offensively. AJ, uh, Jesper Bratt has a bit of had, had a breakout campaign at 32 points as well. So there is some good news among the offensive pieces here in terms of the the goaltending situation, they've had a whole host of guys in the nets here. And uh, Mackenzie Blackwood is their hope for the future. Jonathan Bernier, they thought they'd get more than 10 starts, 10 appearances out of him than uh, they had so far this season. But uh, injuries have dogged him uh, during the campaign. So that's kind of held them back with the uncertainty in the nets, having them put six different guys in the nets so far this year. They have got uh, Dougie Hamilton in the fold, but... He just can't seem to stay healthy, AJ. And right now he's dealing with an injured jaw. And the projection is that he'll be back in a week or so. He's had some good numbers offensively. And when you think about the fact that they've got Ryan Graves and Damon Severson, as well as P.K. Subban, that should be a reasonable defense, but it's not translated so far. So that's a, a bit of a failing grade there for, for this squad as well. Thomas Tatar is a guy who certainly liked the bright lights in Montreal, but really hasn't lived up to that billing. And despite the fact that he's holding on to a second-line scoring role, only 17 points so far this season in 33 games, they need to get better than that from a guy who's getting a lot of minutes on this offense and to make uh, make things look a little more positive down the road. In Music City, uh, you're talking about Matt Duchesne when you want to talk overachievers on, on the year. 16 goals, 17 assists, really has refound his game here. Um, 33 points in 33 games. Uh, you know, you're talking about a guy that's poised to hit 60 or 70, which he's only done twice in his career. And that was back when he was in, in Colorado. So we're talking, you know, one, two, three teams ago. Um, 
so yeah, I think he is the, the standout guy here. Obviously, he's going to hit 20 goals. Uh, should maybe push for 30 here, which, uh, again, another threshold. He's only hit once in his career, again, back when he was in Colorado. So I, I really think, um, you know, he has to be kind of your standout player. In terms of guys that have underwhelmed, like, I really don't have any names that have been disappointing this year. You know, you've got production out of uh, guys like Yakov Trenin, Eli Tolvanen, both uh, 14 and 13 points respectively. That's certainly good enough. Um, you know, Matthias Ekholm chipping in a couple points here and there. I mean, there, there's not anything to be really concerned about with this Nashville team right now, which is why they're on a five-game winning streak. Um, they're they're riding heavy on UC Saros. He's played 30 games this year. He's got 20 wins. Um, and that's right there at the top. Uh, let me just double check. It might be the top. Yeah, he's tied with Andre Vasilevsky in wins this season. He's leading the league in games played right now, which is ahead of, you know, the, those huge – those guys that we expect to play heavy minutes. Vasilevsky is one. Uh, Philip Grubauer, Connor Hellebach, all those guys we expect to play almost every night, but it's been UC Saros who's leading the way here for his team. So I, I don't have anything – disappointing on on the Nashville side it's they're having just a phenomenal start to the year well and in on the island in New York uh, the Islanders have had the deck stacked against them the whole season AJ they were supposed to bring in this season with highlighting the fact they're moving to a new location they started with a big time road trip and that put them behind the eight ball and it didn't go so well and since then it's been a myriad of issues with COVID and uh, they've only played 28 games so far this year that's among the fewest in the entire NHL. And uh, so that's a lot of the negative news. And you throw in the fact that there's a couple of veterans on this team offensively that really haven't done much when you consider the role that they were expected to have. And that's Zach Parise with a goal and five helpers and Nick Palmieri, Kyle Palmieri rather, with a goal and six helpers as well. That's two goals and 11 assists from two guys that should be among the leaders on this team uh, and uh, supporting Matthew Barzal, who's trying to lead the way and, verging on a point per game after his own tough start. He's got things going, and I expect him to be a bright light that leads them the rest of the way. Ditto for Brock Nelson, who has tried to stay healthy and has 10 goals in 19 games played. You project that over a season, that's a 40-goal campaign. But again, he's another guy that just can't seem to stay healthy right now. And that's part of the problem here offensively. On the back end, they suffer from the fact that they just can't stay healthy there either. Ryan Pollock just entered... Uh, the COVID protocols, and he's one of their linchpins on the back end. But other than that, the, the good news is right now, this is one of the healthiest rosters in the NHL, AJ. So they could be primed for a turnaround if they can stay healthy this way and perform to the level that we both thought that they would at the beginning of the season. Well, Paul, you're going to be shocked when I tell you uh, my take on on the Flyers here is that they should probably go with the Rangers, go with the Rangers first. <laughs> Oh, the Rangers. I wanted to just talk Flyers. I guess <laughs> I guess I can talk New York first. Um, yeah, I think with, with New York, um, overachievers are, you know, it's hard to define, you know, in some cases overachiever, right? Like Adam Fox, 36 points in 31 games. That's not really overachieving. Um, it's right where we expected him to do, hitting the marks that, that we expect out of him. Uh, same, I would say of Artemi Panarin, uh, maybe a few more goals out of him. Um, I guess I'll land on, uh, on Chris Kreider in terms of guys 
overachieving only because of the goal total that he's already at um, sitting with, with 21 right now, you look at his career, he's never reached 30. Um, and the fact that he's already got 21 in, in 36 games, that seems like, you know, it's a, it's a pace for a 40 goal season. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll put Chris Kreider as, as my good news. As far as, you know, the, the downside here, um, I, I would have expected a little more offense from Keandre Miller. He's got six points in 37 games. Hasn't been getting a ton of opportunities, but it's, you know, kind of hand in hand, right? Like if he was doing better, he'd get more opportunities, that sort of thing. Um, chicken or the egg, whichever comes first, kind of discussion <laughs> with him. Uh, obviously, Capo Caco and Alexis Lafreniere at 13 and 11 points, respectively. You were obviously hoping for more based on where they were drafted. But the fact of the matter is the the top line, um, you know, the top guys are producing and getting more of the opportunities than them right now. And so you don't expect them to maybe be blowing it out of the water like a Kreider. So um, I, I, I think there's, you know, if you're looking for a downside, it's maybe there, um, but it's, it's uh, harder to find than, than you might think. And in Ottawa, just as it was for my analysis of the Islanders situation, this is a team that's been decimated by COVID and uh, limited in terms of the ability to play games. As a result, they have more games to catch up than almost any other team in the league, along with the Islanders. Three games winless uh, before they, uh, before uh, since our last show, uh, last show, the last couple of weeks, actually, I should say, they haven't played since January the 1st. Their next game is, in fact, tonight, January 13th, as we're recording this. Chris Tierney has just entered COVID protocol, adding to the misery on the injury list. And uh, Nikita Zaitsev had about four weeks with a heel injury. The news just continues to, continues to be very bad in the infirmary as they've still got they've got the likes of Tim Stutzley on the sideline as well, Colin White out long-term, Shane Pinto out long-term as well. So uh, news is not great offensive, uh, in the injured situation. In terms of people that have kind of plowed through and had decent starts to their season. I have to put Drake Batherson at the head of the class with better than a point per game production when he's been healthy, 28 points in 24 games on the verge of a real breakout season and ditto for Josh Norris, who leads the club with 14 goals and 20, 22 points on the season. Brady Tuchuk started after a couple of games and is uh, back to almost a point per game production. So you expect that from him. Thomas Shabbat only has one goal this season. That's a surprise for me, AJ. But he has 16 helpers and the, the plus minus is flat, which is a positive indicator on a team that gives up more goals than it scores. So that's a positive sign in his overall development, I'll say. And uh, Stutzley, I'm looking for more from this guy, AJ. Only 15 points in 29 games and a minus 14. So the overall game, not there, and a kind of a, a step backward from the outstanding rookie campaign that he put up. Uh, Alex Formanton is a guy who's kind of finding a place for himself. He got 10 points in 26 games and wedging his way into a top-six role, I'll say. Artem Zub factoring in defensively is a plus for me because I, I never heard of this guy until he dropped into the NHL, and now he's not only a uh, top-four defenseman in this club, but producing at a level where he's a plus player with plus three on the rating and as well as chipping in a little bit of offense from the back end. So some good news there. But and on the downside, Nikita Zaitsev is a guy they're paying a lot of money for, and he's not delivering the goods at either end of the ice right now. Only two points at a minus three on his record from the back end, and uh, that uh, leads the, the parade in terms of the downside. For me, there's a couple other players. Eric Brandstrom hasn't really developed yet. Adam Gaudet, 
I thought he'd be a factor that would participate in this offense and really only three points so far this season puts him behind the productivity that they got from Austin Watson, who's managed to factor into 16 games played as basically the toughie and the tough guy on this roster. All right. Now we'll get to the Flyers here Sorry for trying to skip, uh, skip ahead. But, um, you know, for me, uh, look, the, the surprise is that I think we need to cut the Flyers a little slack. Um, if I'm being totally honest with myself, you're talking about a team that's been without Ryan Ellis, who is a big, uh, big addition in the offseason. He's played just once since uh, October. Um, you've got, you know, Sean Couturier been out for about a, about two weeks or so. His last, well, longer if you factor in the, the Christmas break. So he's been out since the 18th. So, like, some of the top guys aren't there. Derek Broussard dealing with an injury. Um, you know, Patrick Brown, not a big-name guy, but adding to the depth. Um, so the fact that they've got all these injuries, I don't think you can expect too much out of them in, in overall terms. The guys that are there – are doing well enough um, that I, I think it's it's tough to knock them when you're talking about guys that haven't played a lot. You know, Claude Giroux, 29 points in 32 games. Atkinson, 26 points in 35 games, like 14 goals. Uh, he leads the team in goals. So obviously, his move to, to Philadelphia for Vorsek has, has worked out for him. Uh, even Kevin Hayes, you know, again, you initially you look at the point total, nine but he's only played in 17 games. So I, I just think the injuries and stuff has been a little bit much for them to overcome. And I think yeah. if they had a full roster all season long, that they'd be doing slightly better um, than they are in the standings right now. Okay, partner, let's take a break. We'll be back uh, with our look at the remaining 10 teams and our DFS plays ahead of tonight's schedule on Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back right after these messages. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we're back. You're listening to Statsman and AJ on Rotowire's podcast, the premier fantasy hockey podcast that you're likely to hear over any airwaves uh, this season. We feel really good about the product we trot out this year, and we got great support from uh, our loyal listeners, and uh, we're always looking for suggestions. If you have any, please filter them through. AJ's going to tell you how you can reach out to us on a weekly basis. Absolutely. Yeah. The best way to get in touch with Paul for any of your, your hockey talk that you want, fantasy hockey, your team in general, or if you want to just, you know, zap us for one of our takes, if you want to just, you know, call us out and tell us that we're out of our minds, we're, we're willing to break that down and, and discuss with you as well. Over on Twitter, you can follow me at AJ Scholes. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-2-4. And you can follow Paul at Statsman22. Again, if we get any really good questions during the course of the week, we're happy to talk about that on upcoming shows as well. Okay, AJ, as is our custom, I don't like to get in your way too much when you're talking about Pittsburgh, and similarly, you do the same for me. So while it's my turn, I'll just announce that Malkin's returned, and he's got two goals in his first game back, and that's good news for Jeff Carter, who's already rolling anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, two goals and one assist in that first game back on Tuesday – expecting more of the same tonight um you know for everything that the club you know Melkin just played in his first game Russ has now been out for a little while uh Carter Crosby Gensel they all missed time all their top nine guys have missed time at at one point or another so the fact of where they are in the standings and and how they're doing um is is going really well if there's a disappointment it's obviously the backup net mining uh, Casey DeSmith has just simply not been good enough this year. There's no question about that. And in, in my mind, three, three and one with a 3.47 goals against average, which is a career worst for him. And so I would expect 
if there's something that that they're targeting uh, in the post or uh, in the trade season here, that they're going to look for an improvement in backup net mining, or maybe see what they have in Louis Domingue. Um, he's going to be up for a little bit here um, because Casey DeSmith is in the COVID protocol. So maybe they see uh, if Domingue's got it, if he's got enough to be a backup net minder. I mean, you look at that, his last year in Tampa back in 2018, 21, five and Oh, in 26 appearances, like those kind of numbers are perfectly fine for what Pittsburgh needs in, in terms of workload for him. So maybe that's uh, another option in Seattle. I'll stick with the goaltending theme here. Um, you know, for a guy that was nominated for the Vesna trophy last season, Philip Grubauer has been downright awful. Um, seven, 15 and four in 26 appearances or 26 starts rather 3.37 is a goals against average. Like it, it just hasn't been good if, if I'm being totally honest with you. And I think it should factor in to more opportunities for Chris Dreger. I know Dreger wasn't around to offer some of those opportunities early in the year, but the fact of the matter is three, four, and oh, and nine appearances is definitely better, or at least, you know, about the same as what they're getting out of Grubauer. So I think it's time to give Chris Dreger some more opportunities here because uh, Seattle is really struggling right now with, with Grubauer in between the pipes. For good news, uh, I, I think you have to look at Jared McCann here. 15 goals, which leads the team. You know, he really struggled, I think, at times in Pittsburgh because of the team. I don't think it was a knock on Jared McCann at all, but they'd move him to wing, then move him back to center, then move him to wing again. And I think he struggled to get into a groove. He's been playing really pretty much only center in Seattle, 15 goals, eight helpers. He's got eight points with the man advantage and an opportunity. You know, he's playing the number one power play in Seattle instead of being stuck on the number two unit in Pittsburgh. So really, I I think the move um, has been good for him and allowed him to play his style of game. AJ, I'll also add Evan Rodriguez has been a shocking upgrade from the Evan Rodriguez of prior years, 30 points in 35 games and 15 goals. Nobody in his right mind would have predicted that kind of a breakout campaign. A lot of it has had to do with the opportunities been given with the fact that Malkin and Crosby missed stretches of the season. And he got a lot of top six minutes with the rest of their quality young offense there. So a nod from, from me to him in this corner as well. In San Jose, the story there is improved defensive structure. It's best reflected in the study of the goalie stats there. James Reiner with a goals against average of 2.6 and 20 appearances, 2.68 and 20 appearances. Aiden Hill, 20 appearances. The goals against is 281. This team was well over three last year, so that's a marked improvement from that standpoint. One of the, guy that's, the guys that's contributed is a guy that sadly falls onto the COVID protocol list this week, and that's Alexander Barabanov, who was a fourth liner in Toronto but managed to put himself into a top six situation here. Got 19 points on the year so far. Has to rate as one of the big surprises. Alongside him on the infirmary is... Right winger Kevin LeBlanc, LeBlanc uh, he is uh, out with a shoulder injury. So that's two injuries on the, on the forward ranks that are going to hurt this team for a little while until they get it straightened out. But hopefully it is short-term situations for both of them. Timo Myers had a breakout campaign offensively, AJ, to lead the offense here. And he's been a so- solid performer, but this is a career-best season for him. And uh, Logan Couture continuing to do Logan 
couture things almost at a point per game. Those are the bright lights offensively. And a return to form of the tandem that they're paying big money on the back end is Brent Burns has 26 points and a plus rating. And the same can be said for his partner in crime, Eric Carlson, 22 points. His plus minus only a minus two, which is way better than it's been the last couple of seasons. So that's indicative of the defensive structure here being much improved. And uh, I also throw a little credit to Mario Ferraro, who is among the league leader in both hits and blocks. Uh, if you're looking at those stats for defensemen in your leagues, that's a, guy, a name that you should be focused on by now. And uh, in terms of guys that are on the downside or negative side of, of the ledger here, Kevin LeBanc, before mentioned, only six points in 21 games. Has to rate for me as the biggest disappointment on this roster, AJ. For the Blues, I think the the upside is is definitely Jordan Cairo. Uh 14 goals, 22 assists. Uh, that matches his goal total from last season and tops his assist total from last year as well. So already in just 32 games, he's reached career highs in assists, points. Needs one more goal to get that mark. 11 power play points, another career best. 16, almost 16 and a half minutes of ice time per game. All of these marks are going to be career highs for him. You know, uh, no, you know, sometimes it's hard to call a guy when, when is he a rookie? When is he a sophomore? I know there's technical rules around that, but I played 28 games in 2019, 20. I wouldn't really call that a full rookie season. So I think this would be a true sophomore year for him and no slump at all, really performing well and getting a top six look here. If there's a guy that's underperforming, has to be James Neal. You consider four points in 17 games, has struggled to even stay in the lineup, as um, some due to injury, but also um, has been sent down to the minors as well and, and on waivers, on the taxi squad. But the thing about having James Neal on your team is this is a guy whose team has not missed the playoffs, His whatever team he's on has not missed the playoffs since the 09-10 season when he was with Dallas. And this is not somebody who's played on just one team. He's made the playoffs with Pittsburgh, with Nashville, with Vegas, Calgary, Edmonton, and Seattle seems to – or St. Louis, rather, seems to be um, right there in the mix for it as well, sitting third in the Central Division. So I don't know if he's a good luck charm at this point, Paul. I don't know what the story is. He's underperforming. But if you want to make the playoffs, you put James Neal on your roster. That's all I can say. In Tampa, uh, they've got some injury concerns, AJ. This team's been plugging along. Uh, they were healthy for a while. But Andre Palazzo out with an undisclosed injury right now. That means Alex Killorn will move up. And that, and that uh, one of their spares on the right side, Radish or Matthew Joseph, will move in possibly to the left-wing depth side. Uh, also, Ryan McDonough is dealing with a lower body injury. So they've got concerns. Uh, a couple of spots in their roster, but my goodness, this team is is uh, uh, going to be a tough out again in the playoffs, and they're they're going to be among the top ranked teams in the postseason going forward. But it's a minefield in the Atlantic. But how do you bet against the two-time defending champs when Steven Stankos has had a nice rebound campaign? He's leading the club in scoring with better than a point per game pace. Uh, we haven't seen this kind of production out of him for a couple of years because of largely because of health issues and. Uh, 
certainly right behind him, Victor Hedman is point per game on the back end and, of course, plays a stout defensive style of game. Alex Kalorn, for me, doesn't get a lot enough publicity here, AJ. They're almost a point-of-game player for him, and he's a must in DFS whenever Tampa lines up. Uh, I, I think he's underpriced more often than not, and you can almost say the same for Andre Palat. These guys are premier players, and they're both already – uh, on pay, uh, both on pace for 60 to 70 points this year. Nobody even talks about them. So uh, I just wanted to highlight both of those fellows. And Anthony Sorelli making the move to being more of a two-way player. He was known for more of the defensive side of the puck, but he too has reached double figures in goals already and poised to get about 50 points this season. So uh, another plus there. In terms of the minus side, Cal Foote is a guy I thought should factor into this team by now, and he hasn't uh, defensively two assists in 24 games played and really a depth player. He was a former first round pick and maybe it's just a matter of time before he reaches that next level. Um, and uh, Tyler, Taylor Radish has been a nice surprise in spots and you wonder if he can take the next step. And uh, I, I guess a player to watch, no surprise, Nikita Kucherov, nine points in only six games played, but uh, you can expect that kind of points per game for him the rest of the season. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up with about 70 points in 50 games played. Well, for your Maple Leafs, Paul, I think you, you know, in terms of disappointment, you have to look at Austin Matthews. I mean, he's wallowing in third in the overall goal race, um, <laughs> you know, just just really struggling. No, uh, obviously 24 goals is is right there with with OV and, and Dreisaitl, so. A fantastic year, as always, for him and should be in the mix for, for the Rocket at the end of the year. Paul, I'll throw out a name that I think might fall into the struggling category with you and get your take on it uh, for, for the Maple Leafs here. And I, I think you got to look for me at um, <clears throat> sorry at Nick Ritchie uh, overall production based on, on opportunities. But that's, that's my take on it. Uh, how do you feel about who's up and who's down in Toronto? Yeah, I'll start with the downside. Nick Ricci, they spent a lot of money on him relative to the opportunities that they had to give out this offseason. A big chunk of their available cash went to him on a two-year, $5 million deal, and, and he's just not returning anywhere near it. Only two goals and nine points and a minus six so far in 33 games played. He already passed through waivers, so that gives them the opportunity to put him in the minors once they get healthy, and they'll be healthy for the first time this season when they face off against St. Louis on Saturday. I'm looking forward to that. But uh, one of the guys that I'll be watching very closely for the rest of the season is Mitch Marner, who is also ranking as a disappointment for me, AJ. He has 21 points in 26 games. That's good for a lot of players. It's not good for Mitch Marner. And he hasn't scored a power play goal since uh, Sahara was a forest, it seems. It's been a long, long time that way for him. He's not much of a goal scorer in any, any case, but you got to do better than six goals in 26 games, no matter who you are, when you get a plant chance to play with the likes that center that this team offers. Michael Bunting has been a pleasant surprise offensively. They spent uh, only a little bit of money on him. He picked him up off, off the free agency list last year, and he was a bit player in Arizona, but did score 10 goals in 19 games played. And I think that's what attracted the Leafs to him, that he showed that goal-scoring ability. And he's really shown some offensive skill. Uh, playing with the big boys in the top six hasn't intimidated him, and he's been a real nice performer. Ditto for Alexander Kerfoot. There was a time this, this year, AJ, where I thought he was the, an expendable piece, given that they paid him a little bit more than he produced in the first couple of years with the club, but he's been so good this season and leads the club with a plus 19. So uh, he's in the no trade camp for me. Ditto for 
TJ Brody, he's picked up his game to a next level, partnering with Morgan Riley and bringing the best out of Riles so that, that he can rank again as one of the best offensive pieces in the NHL. But the biggest surprise is they really have somebody in the nets, and that's Jack Campbell, who is as uh, far exceeded any expectations that anybody had. And he's in the Vezina race. That's how good he's been this season. His running mate, though, can't stay healthy, and that's where I'll finish on a bit of a downer for uh, – Peter Morazic took the L last night. He only had a few shots on goal against, but the guy at the other end had a lights out night. So the focus for me, for me on the rest of the year will see see how much they get out of Morazic going to the end of the season. I think he's definitely a tradable commodity if he finishes strong because the job is Campbell's to have, and they got to find a way to set, re-sign him going forward. So I think it'll be Campbell staying, Morazic going. I hope they can trade him. That's my concern. So now we, you're left with me to go back to back, AJ, and I will do that by talking about the Vancouver Canucks. The Canucks are a team right now that we will talk first about the fact that they haven't played since January the 1st. So it's been a long time since we've gone through the successes and failures of this team. Uh, they've got put Coles in, a young guy is going to be factoring into this offense going forward. He's going to play on left wing on the top line. And uh, he's going to play with, get to play with the big boys. So I think he's the guy that you got to look at in DFS play uh, whenever he gets this kind of an opportunity. He's highly regarded. He's only played in he's only played in the top six sporadically this season and has seven goals and nine points to show for 33 games played. But they think enough of him to give him the, the big time opportunity, and so that will be a DFS value play uh, if you're betting on Vancouver to have some success going forward. In terms of the rest of the roster, the guys that have exceeded expectation for me, Connor Garland is right where I think he should be at 24 points in 35 games played. JT Miller is the guy that's exceeded for me. He's leading the squad with better than a point per game in terms of production. Brock Besser is a guy for me on the other side of the equation who has not lived up to expectation. Only 17 points in 29 games played has to rate as one of the bigger disappointments on this squad so there's some plus some minus here in the nets they have to feel good about the fact that Thatcher Denko has responded to first string goalie opportunity and even Yarrow Halak has been a serviceable backup when healthy but too much of the load is being shouldered by Denko and I have a bit of a concern about that so hopefully uh, Halak can be healthy enough to take some of the reins uh, the rest of the way for Vancouver. I have uh, repeatedly over the the last couple of seasons maligned the Golden Knights for not having uh, enough center depth. And while I still hold to that, and obviously this excludes Eichel, who we haven't seen play for them. um, But having said that, Chandler Stephenson is the player that I think is exceeding expectations for me in terms of 10 goals, 26 assists here. Um, in, in 38 games, he's getting opportunities with the power play. It'll be interesting to see what his role looks like when they do get uh, do get Eichel into the lineup here. On the flip side, I'm going to stick with the center and talk about William Carlson. Yes, he's been limited to 24 games, um, but when he's healthy, he's the one that gets that normally gets to play on that top line with with March Assault and and Riley Smith, and and I think. I would expect more out of a guy playing on that top line spot. Um, and, and the fact that he has just 11 points over that stretch, he is getting chances with the the man advantage as well and has absolutely nothing to show for it. I mean, you're talking 214 per game uh, on the power play, has zero power play points right now. 
And so he's kind of my guy that I would say is a dis, uh, as disappointed so far this year with, with the Golden Knights. In Washington, they're on a four-game winless streak, AJ, and the news is not positive with regard to Alexander Ovechkin. He's been diagnosed day-to-day with a shoulder injury. Not sure if he's going to miss upcoming action, so that's some situation to watch for. Also, Dmitry Orlov is a guy who's emerged as maybe the second-best defenseman on this roster, and he's in the COVID protocols, brand new to that list most recently. So a couple of troubling issues for this squad. Ovechkin has exceeded expectations a big time for me. Uh, he's on pace for 100-plus points this year. I didn't see that coming. I thought we'd see a little bit of regression in his, his overall play. But he, he's threatening to get 50 goals again. I can't believe it. Uh, just the machine that keeps on rolling along, despite the fact that his centers have been in and out of the lineup, uh, respectively. Kuznetsov has had a, a decent year with 35 points in 34 games played. But Nicholas Baxter is a guy who's missed a whole lot of action, only played in four games so far this year and uh, with three points. So uh, that's a situation that could only improve Ovechkin's stats if uh, his usual running mate, Backstrom, is healthy for the remainder of the season. And one guy who's taken a bit of a hit uh, is Tom Wilson. He's still got 24 points in 33 games. Not too bad, I would say. But uh, you, you think he also is suffering from the fact that the center depth has not been in place. They have to be pleased with Connor Shear. He has been a Good contributor in terms of secondary offense with 19 points and 31 games played. I wonder if my partner misses him in the Pittsburgh colors and ruse that day. The fact that he goes across the border and goes to the enemy here instead. In terms of the downside, I have to say Carl Hagelin has all but disappeared from this roster. And only seven points in 36 games played. That's not good for a guy who's known primarily for offense, and they have to be disappointed with the health status of Anthony Mantha. I thought this guy was going to be Alex Ovechkin light, and he still might be when he gets healthy, but they have to be disappointed if they only got 10 games out of him, and they might not get many more down the rest of this, this the rest of the season. Well, Paul, I'm, I'm not disappointed because Washington is where ex-Penguins go to finish out their careers. <laughs> um, you know, look, look at the roster right now. You just mentioned Carl Hagelin is struggling, former Penguin Connor Sherry. Daniel Sprong couldn't cut it with the organization. Justin Schultz is there now in, in their bottom pairing. You had um, – uh, there's another defenseman that I'm blanking on right now. Brooks Orpik uh, ended his career there as well or, or close to it. So. You made your point, pal. You made your point. <laughs> <laughs> the, the winners, the guys that want to win, stay in Pittsburgh. Um, so we'll, we'll move on and, and talk, about, uh, talk about the Winnipeg Jets as our final team here. And, look, I think – you have to point to the net mining when you want to talk about, about disappointing uh, starts to the year. I mean, offensively, the guys that you want to be at top, at the top are there. Kyle Connor, 35 points, Pierre-Luc Dubois, 26. Um, you know, obviously Blake Wheeler, one goal in 22 games is, is down, but he had 16 helpers, his knee injury, um, long-term knee injury obviously isn't helping that. Pionk has, Plenty of points. Stastny, even for his part, has a decent production as well. So it's not an offensive problem, in my opinion. Um, and, and it's the net mining that needs to be better. Howie Buck has been middling 13, 10, and 4 in 27 appearances. Um, it's just not good enough. He's going to play a whole ton. They don't really have another option. Eric Comrie's only seen action in seven games this year. Shouldn't be expected to play much going forward either. Uh, except for back-to-backs. But if if you're going to be 
kind of that every night guy, um, your numbers need to be better than what Holly Buck's been doing. All right, my friend, we have taken everybody through the 32 teams and the way they are set up to handle a fuller schedule as we go forward. We'll get re- revert back to uh, talking about the last week that was in next week's show. But right now we swing into the final portion of this program, and every week we touch on our top DFS plays in FanDuel and DraftKings. It's your responsibility to lead us into DraftKings. I've got my blank sheet open, and I can't wait to hear what you got lined up for tonight. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to change up how I deliver the lineup only because I'm going a pretty heavy stack on two uh, teams tonight. So I'll start with uh, the Nashville Predators and I'm going to look to Ryan Johansson at the center position. As I mentioned, Buffalo is going to be using Aaron Dell tonight. Um, they've they are going to get back a couple guys in, in Alex Tuck and uh, um, Kyle Oposo. But really, this team has struggled for much of the year, and the goaltending situation is a nightmare. So I think and, – and Nashville has been really good. Nashville is even better playing at home. Um, so Ryan Johansson, 4,500, is my first player from that team. I'm also going to look at Matt Duchesne, 6,200. As I mentioned, he's been lights out this year, having a really good strong uh, start to the season. These guys don't play on the same line, but they're on the power play together, and they're producing big numbers. So for me – um, I'm okay with the fact that that they're not playing on the same line. I'm going to round out my third member of their power play um, with Roman Yossi, the defenseman. 8K, it's a hefty price tag, I know, but you're talking about a guy that's leading um, the whole entire team in, in production despite being a defenseman here. And uh, I, I think you have to consider trying to get him in. He's one point behind Victor Hedman in terms of overall Uh, defenseman on the year now the other team I'm going to stack is going to be the Pittsburgh Penguins Uh, I like the matchup with LA I know the Kings have been better um, but they still have some struggles the Penguins are rolling now with the return of Evgeny Malkin and that's where I'm going to start with him he'll be my second center here at 6,000 again his numbers last night were phenomenal that could lead to high ownership here but I think he'll continue to do it again Jeff Carter comes in at 4,900 as his winger. That should stay in that spot, at least for a little while, um, including tonight until they get some some reinforcements in terms of like getting Brian Rust out of the COVID protocols, that sort of thing. I think we'll see Carter um, on the wing. And then Kasperi Kapanen, his other winger, 3,700. So I'm stacking the entire Penn second line here. Kapanen's uh, overall production on the year hasn't been great. But he gets two assists in the first game with Malkin back. He just plays better um, with with Evgeny Malkin. And so I'm going to use that whole trio and then round it out from the Penguins with the netminder tonight, Tristan Jari, 7,900. He's not as expensive as UC Saros. I I did consider paying up for Saros because of that matchup. But at 8,700, I just felt like he was a little too expensive. So I'm going to use Tristan Jari instead. The remaining holes in my lineup are uh, a winger and a defenseman. I'm going to go to kind of the third team. So I'm really only using three teams tonight. I'm going to start with Adam Fox on the blue line, 5,800. He is right there at at the top of the the numbers list here. So now I've got two of the top three uh, point-producing defensemen in my lineup heading into tonight's matchup. The game against San Jose is a good opportunity for the Rangers to pick up points. That's why I'm also going to use Capo Caco 
Um, he, he's relatively cheap. You know, I mentioned maybe his production hasn't been as high as you want it to be. He doesn't have a goal in his last uh, eight games. Um, so there's reasons not to use him. But at $3,000 with a good matchup, I think it's a good spot to be in. So a little bit of a, a more jumbled uh you know, dish of my lineup here, but I do think um, this is a good spot for all these guys to be in and, and figured running through my stacks team by team made a little bit more sense when you're only using guys from three clubs. Well, I managed to follow along, AJ, and I've got that lineup in. I'm going to play it tonight. I'm going to give you credit for a win. I think it's a solid looking group. I have more teams represented in my lineup, but I did go with a couple of mini stacks that I think will resonate with you. I'll begin with my four, my centers. I'll give you the two guys in the middle of the ice first. And they come in a little bit cheaper than I thought they might. Pierre-Luc Dubois has, has overtaken Mark Scheifele as the number one center in Winnipeg. And that has its real benefits because I really like the wingers on that top, top unit. Pierre-Luc Dubois has been scoring regularly and uh, well worth the $6,200 price tag as he goes into Detroit with his mates tonight. I, I have them as a heavy favorite to win that game too. I'll partner him with Ryan O'Reilly, one of the better puck distributors who's getting a lot of shots on goal, almost three per game in his last 10 starts. And he gets the tasty assignment of the Seattle Kraken, which is a club that really looks like your typical expansion team rolling into town, limping in town, I'll say, against the St. Louis club that is starting to fire on almost all their cylinders. So he only costs $5,600. So two two really good pivots, two number one pivots for a total of $11,800. That's an advantage for me. I will pick at the Boston Bruins for a single player tonight. Craig Smith has flipped spots with David Pasternak in terms of their top wingers on the right side, and he gets the assignment with the, the two guys that everybody knows. When they think of Boston, they think of Bergeron, Marchand first, and it's Smith that will fill out that unit for $4,700. He's one of my cheapest players on the board, but a first-string assignment against a Philadelphia team that truly limps into town to face the Bruins who are on a high and expecting to be even higher tonight when they welcome Tuka Rask to the fold. I round out my wingers with Ivan Barbashev, who has scored a ton in the last little while and parlayed that into a first-line opportunity. And so he's part of of, uh, the line that I use in full. When I add him, I, I... pay $6,000, and I also include Pavel Buknevich, who's also parlayed a strong season-long performance. He's averaging over 15 points a game in FanDuel play, and he costs $7,300, one of my most expensive forwards there. And uh, rounding out the offense with a utility player, uh, you can't call this guy a utility player on even an all-star team, Kyle Connor for $9,000 is my big-dollar player playing alongside Pierre-Luc Dubois. I put that tandem in, and they will be ushering in uh, a, raw, a raw rookie uh, on the right side as well tonight, but and he's only priced at three thousand dollars home. I'll have you go look for him. I'll say that. How about that? I want to give it away because I'm not playing him on my roster tonight. So a little mystery on the third part of that Winnipeg top line that I won't be using since I'm going two thirds on the back end defense. I'm going with the power play quarterback of the Calgary Flames, and that's Rasmus Anderson, forty seven hundred dollars his price tag as he faces the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I give Calgary a big edge in that game. And then I round out my squad with Matthias Ekholm of the Nashville Predators. They host the Buffalo Sabres in what should again be a lopsided game in favor of the host team. And Ekholm is a guy who started off very poorly this year, but he's been piling up the points most recently, and I think he's well worth the $4,400 on his price tag tonight. 
In the Nets, I'm surprised that A.J. wasn't all over this, but I'm going to be. I'm picking the flower. Marc-Andre Fleury for $7,100. The last time his team faced Montreal, he got win number 500 in a shutout in Montreal. I think he's got a great chance to duplicate that. I saw the game that Montreal threw at Boston, and boy, oh boy, it was like uh, throwing a flower against a wall uh, in terms of the impact that it had. And I see much the impact being the same tonight. An easy win for the Hawks and Marc-Andre Fleury in the Nets. So take that one to the bank, partner. I think both of us are going to wind up at the pay window for both these squads, and I look forward to that. Uh, any parting thoughts, my friend? Well, I'll just put a plug. I, I, I don't usually uh, do a lot of plugs for my own work here, but if you go over onto uh, Rotowire, um, you can look at my – every other week I do a betting article handicapping the NHL. So I've got Thursday's best bets in there from from the slate. So I would encourage people to go check that out if you're into uh, sports betting and, and taking a look at hockey. And then uh, I'm headed to Vegas tomorrow. So uh, if I have any good bets that I decide to throw down while out in Vegas for a few days, I'll tweet those out again as, as Paul uh, always has me remind you, those will be found at AJSholes24. Um, and then I'm sure Paul will be all over me when I, you know, do something crazy like bet against his Leafs or something and get good value out of it. So, uh, but yeah, look for that. Just a little fun this weekend since I'm out there. I'll tweet out any bets uh, that that I lay down on on uh, hockey, football. You know, we got playoff football coming up. But yeah, check out the article handicapping the NHL Thursday's best bets. Uh, that drops every other week, including uh, earlier today. And AJ, uh, don't be surprised. Keep an eye on your emails because I might send you some money from PayPal to bet on the NFL playoffs. As you know, and your list- our listeners, I'm big on the Cowboys. They have a tough matchup against San Francisco, but I'm going to do a parlay, I think. I'm thinking about the, the Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are at home against New England, two games that are beyond contested. And if I win that parlay, it should be a pretty nice payoff. So that's what I'm thinking about. If I get around to it, keep an eye on it and put the bet down for me, pal. Paul, this ain't the this ain't the mid nineties anymore. You can't bet on the the Bills and the Cowboys to to make the Super Bowl. <laughs> that would be nice. I, I've I've got the tapes of the first two times that happened. I'm quite happy with those results, and I'm looking to add a third partner. <laughs> that wraps up our look around the league in uh, this episode of podcast. Thanks for listening to RotoWire Signature Hand Hockey Pod. Um, and in the meantime, as always. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJSchultz24. We wish our, our my friendly co-host a great trip in Vegas. And as always, we invite you to listen in to podcasts to get our tips today about a competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 